Last week, I asked you about being in the presence of someone great, you know, how that can elevate us and make us feel like we can do things that we don't normally do. Katie and I love watching the Great British Baking Show. Um, and it's only there would I ever have found myself saying, you call that a bechamel? Come on. Turn the TV off, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. How do I do hot dogs again? You know, we get elevated in the presence of others. And perhaps you've had that experience. Katie and I had that experience uh, several years ago. I can't remember when it was particularly but we had tickets to the Quad City Symphony Orchestra. Yes, out in Rock Island, the Quad Cities, we did have a symphony orchestra. It was actually quite fantastic. And for their 100th season, one of their concerts, they brought in Yo-Yo Ma to, to perform. If, if you don't know who Yo-Yo Ma is, yes, I am saying that correctly. But secondly, he is probably the foremost cellist in the world. Um, and after the concert. Not only did we get a chance to hear him play, but Katie and I actually have a photograph of the two of us with Yo-Yo Ma. We got a chance to meet him, and he's, he's a wonderfully um, generous person with his time and with his, with his energy. But I'll tell you what, there were other people in the room. There was, there was a line. There was some electricity. There were people with, with uh, programs just ready. Can you sign this? I can't believe I'm going to meet Yo-Yo Ma. And it, it, the, the room was kind of electric. And uh, it, you just knew that I, I looked at, you know, I've looked at the photo and I thought, well, I'm glad I was wearing my suit. I'm glad I looked half decent. Um, I wasn't worried about Katie for that. She, she always looks fine in those, in those situations. But it reminds us that when, when we're in the presence of something or someone great, it changes us and it reminds us of our limits, but also of greater things. And what I want to suggest today as we, as we dig into the word, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. If you want to grab your Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6. And if you want to be really talented, stick a thumb in Exodus 20. But we're going to talk about being in the presence of God and how that changes who we are, and reminds us of what our primary work is to be in the world. That our main work is the worship of God. That's the big idea here today. Our main work is the worship of God. So let's go ahead and take a look at Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, it's uh, verses 1 through 5. It's a fairly actually known passage. Isaiah is just past... Uh, Psalms. It's a few books past Psalms. If you got into Jeremiah, back up a few pages. And hear, hear God's word as I share it with you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered, covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. May God bless to us and to our understanding this reading from his word. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this vision, a vision of yourself, really, that reminds us of who you are and who we are with respect to you. Use it to open our eyes to see who you are and how we can worship you. Use it to open our ears and our hearts to your word. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so this is a passage that is somewhat familiar, but also is somewhat frightening there. Um, But what we see is the heavenly creatures. We see seraphim, a a type of serpent-like creature with wings. We typically think of it uh, we typically think of seraphim as, as being angels, kind of decked out angels, so to speak, but they're really kind of a serpentine creature with these wings. And as we look at these creatures, as we look at the, the, the vision of what is going on, Isaiah has entered the throne room of God in this vision whether he is actually in the temple or whether he is somewhere else, it doesn't really matter because through this vision, he has entered the throne room of God. And it's very interesting because as we look at this, this image, some, some parts of it just stand out. First of all, the seraphim, their natural reaction, their natural work, what they are doing, their work there is to worship. Their work there is to worship. And if you notice, they are doing this as they they fly about the, the throne of God. And yet, at the same time, they are shielding themselves because the glory of God is such that even as created beings, even as beings that live in the heavens, live in the throne room of God, they still cannot look at God himself. Our mission tag now, as we've been talking about, is to expand Christ's community through worship, discipleship, and relationship. Worship, in some ways, seems like the the most obvious one. We gather, we come together on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., whether we are 300 feet that way or whether we are right here, and we come for a certain period of time, and, and that's worship. But what we see in the ser- with the seraphim, what we see going on in the vision of God is that there is worship that is going on all the time in the presence of God. These creatures cannot help but to both shield themselves from the glory of God and worship the glory of God at the same time. Seraphim show us what goes on throughout all eternity, that in God's presence there is constant worship, holy, 
holy, holy. The same words that we sang this morning comes right, that hymn comes right from this section. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. Isaiah, of course, was a prophet. He was a prophet and God raised up prophets because, well, the people of God are not known for following God very well. If you look at the story of the Old Testament, if you look at the story of the New Testament, if you look at the story really of the church throughout the ages, it has been a one-sided love story where the God of the universe has been pursuing us and we don't quite get it. You'd think after a few thousand years we'd understand. But at least we're consistent. But God is after us, and God is desirous of having a relationship with us. It's very interesting because this, the, the, the seraphim are there giving worship. And what is the natural reaction from Isaiah? Several years ago, as in a couple decades, uh, there was a song that was released called I Can Only Imagine, which discusses what will happen when we reach the presence of God. And very interestingly here, we have a story of what happens when someone reaches the presence of God. Isaiah, the prophet who was raised up to call the people back to worship of God, who was raised up to call the people back into relationship with God, who was raised up to, to tell people to worship God, gets into the presence of God and his first words is, hallelujah? No. His first words are, woe to me, for I am ruined. I'm ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in a culture of people who have unclean lips. What does Isaiah mean about that? Does this mean that Isaiah and, and the whole Israelite culture swears like sailors? No. What Isaiah is saying is something that is repeated by Jesus and is picked up by the letter of James. That what is in the heart bubbles up and overflows through our mouth. That what comes out of our lips is an overflow of the heart. Worship is an overflow of the heart. It is what comes up out of us. And what Isaiah recognizes in that moment is that in the presence of the holy of holies, in the presence of a righteous God, in the presence of God Almighty, he can't stand. Even being a prophet of that saying, he cannot be in that position. He is not holy enough. And what he says is that I'm a man of unclean lips, meaning out of my heart come things that are not acceptable to God. They, they, they bubble up from my heart and then they come out and they are not holy, righteous, redeemed, or to the praise, glory, or honor of God. Because that's what worship is. It's to exalt, to praise, to glorify, to honor something as being valuable, worthy of respect or significance. Our first week here, and I haven't said it yet, 
we're going to spend four weeks in worship, and they're all going to be E-words. And this week, we're talking about the fact that worship is to exalt, to lift up, to show as being valuable, worthy of respect or significance, to glorify. Very interestingly, when we got into, uh, when you get into the word glorify, it has roots all the way back through Greek and Hebrew, and the, the, the original word could be used of something that was weighty, something that had glory, had weight. And that gives a great picture and a great understanding of how we honor and value things. What are the things that we give weight? What are the things that we give that, that we think are significant? What is weighty in our lives? By the reaction of the seraphim, we are to see that it is to be God and none other. The Shorter Catechism, which is a part of our book of confessions, the very first question asks this, what is the chief end of humanity? What is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our primary work. It's, our, it's, it's the number one question. It's the number one understanding of who we are and what we are designed to do. There are going to be people who walk through the building next week or this coming weekend, and they're going to look at some things that they don't know what they're, and they're going to say, what was that designed to do? But how often do we look at ourselves and say, what was I designed to do? We were designed to give glory. We were designed to give worship. Why does this matter? Let me suggest two things, and then we're going to suggest three applications, and I'll promise I'll be, quickly, be quick here, although the, the clouds have given us uh, much, much kindness here. But why does this matter? Why does worship matter? Be well, one, the seraphim teach us that work, or excuse me, worship is an eternal work. I've got bad news. If you don't like worship, there's an eternity of it on the other side of this world. Jesus talked about the fact that when the when the crowds were cheering his name, when the children were singing his praises, and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law said, shut them up, he said, I, I can't. If they stop, the rocks themselves are going to start to sing. This world, not just us, was designed to the glory of God. And that will be part of our eternal work. A glorious, joyous worship in the presence of the Almighty. Think to, your, to the most wonderful worship experience that you have had. Think to the most joyous experience that you have had and know that that will pale in comparison for all eternity. But it, for right now and right here, 
It matters because worship is one of the core ways that we express our faith. It is one of the core ways that we demonstrate to the world what is important to us. We demonstrate that through our actions when we're in worship. We demonstrate that through our attitudes when we're outside of it. We demonstrate that through what we value. Someone says, hey, I, you want to go to, to uh, breakfast Sunday morning? You go, ah, I got to go to worship. That communicates something about how we feel about worship. But when we talk and when we say, I have the opportunity to go worship, would you like to come with me? Because it is actually better than eggs, bacon, and toast, let me tell you. I know some of you are saying, okay, the eggs and the toast I get, but bacon? <laughs> Worship is better than bacon. Maybe that's the, the takeaway for today. But it's one of the core ways that we express our faith. I enjoy every year, and you can talk to Pastor Dina uh, about the, the New Wilmington Mission Conference. I love every year going to Camp Lambeck, in part because we worship every single night. It never gets old. It never gets old. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Are we glad or are we kind of meh? So how do we do this? How do we, how do we worship? Well, I think one of the things that we need to pay attention in, to in this passage is that we need to to make God larger, first of all. Like I said, glory has to do with weightiness. Glory has to do with, with that, that, again, weightiness. When the passage opens up, it says that, Isaiah says that he saw the Lord, the king, in the year that King Uzziah died. He saw the true king then. He saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, what this is actually saying, you might be thinking about the, the train of a robe like a, like a wedding dress, but the word actually means the hem of his garment. The hem, the corner of God's robe, filled the entire temple. The temple was the largest thing that the Israelites could understand. It was the largest building they had constructed. It was the most glorious building they had constructed. And yet only God's hem fits into it. One of the things that uh, I will say, our sanctuary has a lot of good qualities, but one of the things it doesn't get very well is the magnitude, the majesty, the largeness, the weightiness, the kavod of God. Think Notre Dame. Think the Cathedral of Amiens. Think of St. Peter's Basilica and the hem of God barely fitting into it. That's the image that we have here. What is the size of the image of God that we have in our minds. I think the one way that we could describe it is in two words, too small, too small. 
Yet it's a good thing that we are outside here today because the whole earth is full of God's glory. The sanctuary we have today starts to communicate the majesty and the grandeur and the largeness of God. We need to make God larger in our, wi- in our lives. How large is God in your mind? The corollary to that is that we need to make ourselves smaller. When John was confronted with people saying, hey, Jesus is starting to get more disciples than you are, his response wasn't to say, I'm going to work on my marketing plan, I'm going to work on Uh, on my uh, flyers, I'm going to work on getting my messaging out there, my branding needs to be redone. No, what John said in response was, he must become greater, I must become less. That is a lifetime work. As God becomes greater, we must become less. And that's difficult because Jeremiah says that the heart is above all things deceitful. Martin Luther said that the human heart is curved in on itself. Some theologian, I can't remember his name, said that the heart is an idol factory. And we love to place ourselves in the center while God is pushed out we must become less as he becomes greater. Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. And isn't that what Christ did when he took the towel in the basin and he started washing feet? He says, I have to do this. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He must become greater. We must become less. So as we exalt God, we want to make God larger. We want to make ourselves smaller. But then we want to give our lips to God. Let me ask this question that's perhaps a little difficult. What overflow are your lips giving? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are we saying? If we had a little voice recorder, one of which we have actually over on the the thing there to capture my words right now, if you had a little voice recorder with you everywhere you went, what would play back? Some people are going, well, wait a minute, you're getting a little personal here. What would play back? Would our lips be given over to God or would our lips be given over to someone or something else? That's a serious question we have to ask as followers of Jesus Christ. He asked us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him wherever he went. What do our lips show? As we go to to, to worship God then, We want to see God as he really is. High, exalted, righteous, holy, totally other. We want to see ourselves as we are, created, much smaller, 
but still dearly loved children of God who give our lips over to God. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that, that you are who you are. As we think about our world and the troubles of our world and the, the, the pain of our world, the confusion and difficulty, remind us of your greatness. Because as we think about the trouble, even just in our own lives, we can become overwhelmed. But when we see your glory and your majesty, we are reminded that you are above all things. Help us to exalt you in everyday life, not just when we are here, but, but throughout our days that you would be made more, that we would be made less, and that our lives would overflow in praise to you. We ask you to help us to do that and to prepare us for the great and glorious day when we will worship you in your presence, unmitigated by the brokenness of this world. We look forward to it, O oh God, and we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen.